think, what was the first one? The next slide. There we go. Yeah. So there's a concert Friday night uh, for youth group, uh, which most of us don't qualify, but we might have some people in our family who, who do. So uh, that's um, Kevin A.D. and Christine are both really talented artists. They were here last year. They're going to be here again Friday night. So uh, just, if nothing else, be in prayer for that event. And if you know anybody that um, might uh, be a, a, a teenager, uh, you know, that they would definitely benefit from the music and the, the testimony they hear from Kevin. Also, we've got our Feed the Need um, ministry, which is the one that, you know, they, they cook food ahead of time, freeze it down, and put it in the freezer downstairs, so that if someone is going through a rough time or, or just needs a little uh, supplement to their groceries, um, you know, we have some stuff available for them. So they're looking for two new volunteers to help with cooking and preparing the food. So if you're interested in that, you could uh, let us know. Uh, I think two tea gardeners is who you'd want to see, or you could check with Eric, and I'm sure he can connect you somehow. Also, we've got our community meal coming up this Sunday. Uh, anybody, it's free to anybody who wants to come. Uh, it's drive-through, pick-up type stuff, so you, they don't even have to come in the church and, and, and sit down or anything. They can just drive up, and we will hand out the food to them, right? What's the meal this time, man? Spaghetti and breadsticks. All right, so that's Sunday from 1 to 3. You know, if you don't have lunch plans or you know somebody that could uh, use a free meal, uh, send them this way. All right. All that being said, let's go ahead and pray and we'll get into the message tonight. Lord, we thank you this evening for uh, giving us another chance to worship and fellowship together. We get to hear songs of praise and sing those with one another and, and sing them to you. Um, as we just sing about the, uh, the prodigal experience, all of us have some of that in our lives, some area where we've been running from you rather, rather than to you. But we know you're always willing and ready to embrace us when, when we turn back. So Lord, we just pray tonight that we would have uh, those types of hearts, hearts that are willing to turn back and be changed by you and be embraced by you. Lord, we uh, pray that you bless us to understand you better and, and be able to walk closer to you through this study tonight. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, uh, Pastor Chris um, kind of lined this series out for us. He said he wanted to call it Leadership 101. Uh, because... First Timothy is one of the uh, pastoral letters. It's one of the letters that, that Paul wrote. He wrote two letters to Timothy and one to Titus. And both of those were young men who had served under and with uh, Paul in ministry. And then he, toward the end of Paul's life, he wrote letters to them, giving them you know, some parting words, some important advice. And it wasn't just about how to pastor a church. It was about how to lead yourself, right? How to... Uh, lead uh, a, a godly life, how to deal with some of the problems that will, will occur no matter uh, what your role is. And so when he wrote this letter, 1 Timothy, the church is about 30 years old. Right? It's been about roughly 30 years since Jesus uh, was, was resurrected. And Paul's writing to Timothy, who... Um, is a, like I said, a young young man who was very near and dear to Paul's heart. 
protege, so to speak. Uh, he was he was young. He seemed to have some physical ailments. Paul addresses that a couple different times. Uh, he te- tended to be timid or non-confrontational. And both of those are issues that Paul's going to bring out throughout this letter. You know, these are real things that you're going to have to deal with, and we've got to work through it and around it. Right? But Timothy was very near and dear to Paul. Um, Paul left him in charge. Paul, uh, you, you've probably maybe seen one of the other letters in the New Testament. It's called Ephesians. Right? It's a church in, in Turkey where Ephesus was. And Paul planted this church, and when he left that church, he left Timothy in charge of it. He had that much faith in him. He said, you know, you pastor this church when I'm not here. And so he's writing uh, a letter to him about that ministry that he's been, been left with. And so he, uh, we'll, we'll just pick up there. First, verse 1. First uh, Timothy 1, verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle... And that word just means a, uh, a, a one who is sent out, or it could be, you could use the word ambassador. Today, in some denominations and churches, they like to use this title, right, so for their preachers, they'll call them the apostle, so-and-so. Uh, but near as we can tell, the only people who really held that title in the Bible were people who had a, a one-on-one experience with the risen Jesus. Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus. Uh, you know, Peter and John and all of them saw him face to face. If you want to call yourself Apostle Joe, go ahead. I mean, whatever. We're, we just just don't write your own book for the Bible or whatever. You know. Uh, but Paul was an apostle. He was a sent out one, an ambassador of Christ Jesus. He says, according to the commandment of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. And you notice the way this letter starts, and all, pretty much all the New Testament uh, letters do this. It starts with the introduction of the author. It's kind of the opposite of how we do a letter or email now, right? We, at the end, we put, you know, sincerely, Nate. Uh, at that, you know, the letters back then, it was the other way around, which makes more sense, right? He, right away he says who's sending the letter and then who's sending it to. But he says Timothy is his true child in the faith. Uh, Paul has known Timothy since very early in his faith journey. We can't prove for sure that he led him to the Lord because he also talks about how Timothy had a mother and grandmother who, who taught him God's Word and taught him the Old Testament. So maybe that's how he came to faith. But either way, Paul knew Timothy from a very early point in his faith. And basically, they had a father-son type of relationship. And that's something that all of us should have, right? There should be someone, no matter how mature you are in your faith, there should be someone in your life that you could look up to and ask questions of and model yourself after. And also, there should be someone in your faith or in your, in your life, who can do that with your faith. Right? We should always be being mentored and mentoring other people. Uh, and so Timothy was one that Paul had mentored very closely. 
The, normally, most of Paul's letters, he opens up with, you know, Paul, an apostle, and then he says, uh, grace and peace to you. In this letter, he, he adds the word. He says, grace and peace and mercy. He adds mercy in there. And I think it's par- partly because of that that family-like relationship that he had with Timothy. Timothy's like family to him. He's a fellow servant in the Lord, uh, but also in family and ministry, mercy is one of those things that is essential. It's one of those things that is just necessary to have mercy for the people that are you're closest to because they're the ones that are going to hurt you. Intentionally or unintentionally. They're the people who are, uh, are going to need the most grace in your life. And we've probably all seen that where we can be really kind to someone outside our home, but someone in our home, uh, they, you know, they see the, the harsher side of it. And so Paul, he lets Timothy know right away, look, grace and peace, but also mercy. Because the difference between grace and mercy, it's a small one, but it's an important one. Grace is is you get what you don't deserve, right? We we are saved by faith. Uh, you know, we're saved by grace through faith. It's, we don't deserve eternal life, but Jesus gives it to us anyway. Mercy is you don't get what you do deserve. You, know, you don't get the judgment that you have earned. You don't get the harsh criticism that you you have coming to you. That's, there's a little difference between grace and mercy. And so he just lets Timothy know, look, uh, yeah, I'm sending you this letter of instruction, and there's going to be a little bit of chastisement in here, but just know it's full of mercy. I'm not judging you. I'm, I'm trying to love on you. All right, verse 3. He says, As I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus, so that you may instruct certain men not to teach Doctrine. Paul had been in Ephesus with Timothy, um, and when he left for Macedonia, which is just northern Greece, he left he left Timothy in charge there. And at some point, Paul travels to the island of uh, uh, Crete, where he leaves he leaves Titus in charge there. Right, so he he planted two churches with two young guys. And it's around the time that he planted that second church that he writes a letter back to Timothy just to check in. Uh, He says, uh, Remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, verse 4, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies, which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. So when Paul passed near Ephesus on his way to Jerusalem um, in the book of Acts, he had given a warning to the elders there at Ephesus. Uh, And it's hard to, it it can be tricky to piece all this stuff together. The book of Acts is not intended to read as, you know, a diary journal of all of Paul's travels, but you can kind of piece all of it together. And one of the last times that Paul saw the people in Ephesus, he gave them a warning Acts 20, verse 28. He said this. He says, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock 
among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. And so it seems now a few years have passed, and his, the thing that he warned about is starting to take place. Right? He's getting reports back that, hey, people are arising and, you know, teaching weird things, and Timothy, you need to do something about this. Uh, some teachers are emerging with some, some new doctrines and ideas. First Timothy 1, verse 4, it says, Now, uh, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies, which give rise to mere speculation, rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. And we can get little hints of what was being taught there. Uh, Gnosticism was something that kind of rose up in part in that area. Um, but the main thing was that they were not making the main thing the main thing. You follow me? The main thing is that they weren't making the main thing the main thing anymore. They were getting in, into all these little mysteries and rabbit trails and, well, what about if this guy was the dad of that guy? And, what, you know, and losing, losing the thread, losing the main thing. And we, we still run the risk of this all the time. Um, in our discussions about predestination, um, election, things, our discussions about the end times, and when does, is, is the rapture real, and when does that happen, and who's the Antichrist, and what's the mark of the beast, and all those fun things to talk about can really distract people from the main thing. Uh, he says, uh, all this, you know, is distracting from that which is by faith. Salvation is and always has been simply about faith, not about whether or not you understand all the genealogies in the Old Testament or all the prophecies in the New Testament or any of that stuff. It's always been about faith, not whether you understand every mystery. Verse 5, it says, But the goal of our instruction, right, it says it's not about mysteries, it's not about uh, genealogies or any of this stuff. The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. It says these are the goals, right? There's three things Paul lists. This is the goal of ministry. This is the goal of all ministry. And you may think, well, I'm not a pastor. Well, you still have a ministry. You have a family, which is your first ministry field. You have people in your life who you influence in one way or another. And the goal of all of it is love, a pure heart, good conscience, sincere faith. Paul tells us elsewhere, he says, if you don't have love, you're just making noise. Right? You're just like trash can lid being hit loudly. John 13, verse 34. 
Jesus said this. He says, a new commandment I give to you. That you love one another. Even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. If you have what? Love for one another. Not if you understand all the mysteries of the Da Vinci Code. Or whatever. If you have love for one another. We never turned this row of lights on tonight. At the beginning of service, we were blinded by all the light, and it's going away quick. So love has always been the, the, the primary thing. But love comes from a pure heart, the Bible tells us. Um, uh, and a pure heart, the word he uses there, it's just, there's nothing, no, no big mystery, no great word study here. It's just the opposite of of defiled or the opposite of unclean. David said this in the Psalms. Uh, we've quoted this verse quite a bit lately. Psalm 139. This is a dangerous prayer that David prayed. Verse 23 he said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way. In other words, God, show me what in my heart is not true. And we all have an idea of what thing in our life is not true, that's defiling our heart. So part of the goal of of Paul's instruction, the goal of ministry, is that we operate in love, and that our hearts are being cleansed. Right? That we, we're starting to put more good in and less defiling. Then he says, says something about a good conscience. Basically, you know, check your motives. Uh, does doing this, am I doing this thing to be seen or to actually serve someone? Uh, am I doing this because I'm Or I'm, am I not doing this thing because I, I, I'm not called to it? Or because it doesn't sound like fun to me? I've definitely gotten out of a couple things over the years because I was like, I don't want to do that. I don't feel that the Lord has called me to that. So it's code for, I don't want to do that. It doesn't sound like fun. And finally, he, he mentions sincere faith. That word sincere is interesting. It comes from, um, had to do with pottery. In the ancient world, uh, when they would have, you know, pitchers and cups and vases and all that stuff, very often uh, in the, in the uh, what do you call it, when they put it in the thing that makes it hot, and kiln, yeah. In that process, uh, it would they would develop cracks. Difficult thing to redo it. So uh, many merchants would take wax and, and fill in those cracks, then paint over it, and it would look smooth and good as new. And then you would find out later when you put hot liquid in the thing that it had, you know, that that wax would melt, and you would, you would realize that it leaked and it was it wasn't uh, wasn't what it seemed to be. And so, 
a good merchant would mark their pottery as sincere, without wax. It is what it appears to be. There is, it, we didn't paint over the crack. If you see a crack, it's there. If you don't, it's not. And Paul says that is the goal. Not that you are without crack, but that you're without wax. That you are, uh, that what you see is what you get. That the person that you see uh, up here tonight is the person that you will run into at Walmart and the person you will see at the post office or whatever. They're not different people. First Timothy 1, verse 6. For some men, straying from these things, have turned aside to fruitless discussion or empty talk. Wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. Not only do they not know what they're talking about, but they are boldly confident in the thing that they don't know what they're talking about. We know a lot of people like that these days, don't we? We've all know someone who became, you know, got their medical degree on YouTube over the last couple years. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of experts on things that, uh, that people haven't really spent the time on. So he says, especially in the church, there will be people who um, will make bold claims about things they don't really understand. So not only do they not know what they're talking about, but they're bold about it. Proverbs 12, verse 15 says this. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But a wise man is he who listens to counsel. But there is the rare occasion when you will be the, the lone voice in the wilderness crying out the truth and you're the only person who... Hey, there it is. There's the light. There's that rare occasion where you're the only person who got it right. But it's rare. When you have those times where you feel like you're the only one that knows, maybe maybe you need to listen a little more. First Timothy one verse eight says, uh, "But we know that the law is good." Right? He says these guys are teaching stuff about the law. Now remember, this is he's talking to the people who are in the church in Ephesus. There's a pretty famous verse in the letter that Paul wrote to Ephesus, right? That for by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God there was a problem in that church where people were trying to to make salvation about works and not faith and so he's, he's talking to Timothy again about it and he says look we know that the law is good I know that you have these people teaching messed up versions of the law in your church and the law is not all bad the law is good if one uses it lawfully realizing that the fact that law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, and for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers and mothers for murderers. And most of us are like, yeah, the law is for all those really bad people. Verse 10, an immoral man. 
anyone who has any lustful thoughts. And homosexuals. And kidnappers. And liars. And see, the list keeps kind of waffling back and forth between murderers and liars. Perjurers. Whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. Sometimes we people get hung up on these lists that Paul will give, and they miss the point of the list. The point is, there are things that we think are awful, and things that we're like, eh, well, you know, everybody, you know, we all kind of do that. And we're missing the point, right? The law was to show any of us how far short we fall. Right? Immoral men and homosexuals. That seems like, oh, this this big, broad spectrum. No, it's it's still people having sex or, or sexual thoughts outside of marriage. God says marriage is between a man and a woman. That's, that's really the issue with homosexuality is that it's sex outside of those bounds of marriage. Just as adultery is sex outside of those bounds of marriage. Just as pornography is a sexual act outside of those bounds of marriage. Verse 11, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. He says it's not made, the law wasn't made for a righteous person, for a perfect person. Because there aren't any. The law isn't for perfect people and it never made anybody perfect. Uh, its job was to show us that we are not perfect, right? That no matter what the list is, something on the list is going to apply to it. That we're all immoral, we all are liars at some point, we're all profane in some way. The law teaches us how much we need Jesus. That's the point of this. In the first letter that Paul wrote in his ministry, uh, Galatians 3, verse 24, he said this, Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. The law is there to show us how badly we need Jesus. Not to tell other people how much better we are than them. Not to uh, condemn some other person for sinning in a way that's different than you. It's there to show you how far you are from Jesus. So much of Jesus' ministry was spent uh, clarifying his intentions for the law. And he said, yeah, murder is wrong. But you know that when you hate someone, you, you basically are a murderer at heart? People didn't like to hear that. He also said, you know what, adultery is wrong. But you... You know that when you lust after someone, you're an adulterer at heart. You, you might have, you've, you've basically done the sin; you just didn't go through with the physical part. We spent a lot of time clarifying that stuff. And I think it's interesting. It's a little off-topic, but there, there's more to the law than just the Ten Commandments. But we'll, we'll go with that. 
right? When, when God gave the law to Moses, he gave him the Ten Commandments. And he tells us that he, he wrote them on two tablets. On the first tablet were the commands, uh, you know, there's no other gods before me, uh, no, uh, no uh, carved images, uh, you know, don't make idol gods, uh, don't take God's name in vain, don't uh, make sure you honor God and honor the Sabbath. All of, you know, the one tablet was all about God. And the other tablet was, um, you know, make sure you do honor your parents and that you don't murder, that you don't commit adultery, that you don't steal, that you don't lie, and that you don't covet. And then, of course, the, the rabbis, they added about 600 more laws on top of that to clarify. So when they, when they cornered Jesus about it, they were like, what? what's the most important what, how do you summarize the whole law? He broke it down to those two tablets, right? He said, love God, first tablet. Love people, second tablet. That's it. And so, if all of my activity uh, doesn't accomplish those two things, I'm spending my time and my energy on the wrong stuff. And so as a leadership principle, right, there should be a simple goal. And you can get lost in the minutia of everything that happens throughout the work day. But at the end of the day, did I accomplish one of the big picture goals? And as a Christian, those big picture goals are love God and love people. So I'm going to go back and we're going to read one verse that we've kind of just brushed past, uh, but is really the, the, the intention of this letter, I think. 1 Timothy 1, verse 3. Paul said, As I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus, so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. Remain on stage. Don't give up. Right? That's the point of his letter. He's encouraging Timothy, look, I know you, and I know you are ready to, to give up on this. Don't. He's overwhelmed. Uh, he's discouraged by the challenge. We're going to find out, you know, he's, because he's so young, some of the older guys in the church, which I, I really appreciated uh, Landon referring to me as an elder pastor. I felt like I needed a cane to come up and uh, <laughs> but Timothy is uh, you know, he's running into some trouble there because, you know, he's so young that some of the older people don't respect him and stuff like that. Uh, people keep talking about things that, that you know, don't seem to matter. He's lost sight of what does matter, and he's frustrated. In the rest of the letter, Paul is Paul giving Timothy reasons to remain, to not give up. So, I went a little longer than I was supposed to tonight, but I just want to encourage you. 
if you're feeling that way, if you're feeling discouraged, if you feel like giving up, remind yourself of the why. it is you're in right now. Can you love God and love people? I encourage you to stay and be there. Lord, we thank you tonight for giving us another opportunity to, to study your word. We thank you that you're raising up young men and women in our church to, to teach and, and lead. God, we just pray that you would bless us to, uh, to have renewed zeal and, and courage to live out and share our faith in our homes and our workplaces and whatever ministry it is you called us to. And that we would be able to keep the main thing the main thing. Right? Even in our frustration, that we would love people. Even in our anger, we would, we would show the love of God. Help us to be more like you. Lord, we pray for your, your will to be done. We pray you come and come quickly. And all God's people pray. Amen. All right, ready?